and and I, I I felt that I had to do something about it in terms of I had to at, at the very least like kind of ask people, can you see this too, or can you see what I'm seeing? Does this look right, like to you? Like it doesn't look right to me, you know. Uh, some of the things that, that yeah, those vistas that I, that I saw were so so very yeah. Obviously, I don't know if a scene can be immoral or or wrong. <laughs> but it just it looked like that and i and i the fact that it was happening in sort of plain broad daylight was was, was... this photography podcast is brought to you by frames quarterly printed photography magazine here is your today's host w scott olsen with another fascinating conversation Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another podcast from Frames Magazine. My name is Scott Olson, and today, folks, today we are going to talk to one of the coolest, one of the most interesting photographers that I know, somebody who is deeply involved in social justice and in trying to use photography to make the world a, a, a better and a more just place and really puts a lot of, you know, the, the moral potential of photography to very, very good use. Uh, we're talking with Dalen Paul, who's an independent photographer in South Africa. Uh, he's a graduate from the Rhodes University School of Journalism, and I shout out here, also got a major in English literature. Started off as a... Um, press photographer in Cape Town, became an independent photographer. And he's been all over the world, East Asia, Thailand. He came back to South Africa uh, and, and worked for news organizations. And his work has been in the New York Times. It's been in The Guardian. It's been in foreign policy. He was a finalist for the Vodacom Journalist of the Year Awards. Started moving from photojournalism into documentary photography. I mean, we're going to talk about that change a little bit here in a second. And really, really got involved with the issue of coal mining and burning and won the, the, the incredibly prestigious Ernest Cole Award for his work there, which became his first book, Broken Land and, and, and Exhibition. Uh, he's a lecturer in photojournalism and documentary photography, runs his own production company, and is just an incredibly cool person that I'm proud to say that I know. Dalen, how you doing today? How's life in South Africa? Um, hi. Wow, that's uh, quite an introduction. Please, <laughs> uh, no pressure there. Hey, uh, I, I'm I'm good. Thanks, Scott. Uh, things are okay here in South Africa. Yeah, very cool. I mean, I, I I'm tempted just to jump in the deep end here and start talking about the the tremendously insightful and important work that you're doing. But you know, you you've got an interesting history. So so bring us up to speed from the first camera in your hand to when you decided journalism, photojournalism, was going to be the, the way you began your career. How did photography even come into your life at the first part? Wow. Um, sure, not a lot of people have asked me that. And I, I, I thought about that a while ago. I started writing some memories down. Um, and actually my, 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 my first memory of a camera is of my dad, um, making pictures of me. And the first camera that I actually really got, uh, was from my dad. I think when I was like six or seven years old, that, uh, didn't last. It was like a little disposable camera or, or not a disposable, but just like, you know, in the late eighties, um, you'd get like, like those cameras at the drugstores. Uh-huh. It was one of those, uh, and and my dad passed away unfortunately when I was thirteen. The next time I got a camera was when I was in, yeah, I was seventeen. So in America, you have like a like a homecoming dance, right, or a prom. Mm-hmm. Um, 
mm-hmm. we have something like that in South Africa and I won it there. So yeah, that was, those were my first two cameras. And I think that I, I decided while I was in high school that I, that I wanted to be, um, a journalist, probably a photojournalist. Uh, the idea of owning a camera seemed really far away for me, <laughs> but, uh, mm-hmm. uh, but and I knew from, from, from about the age of 15, 16. Yeah. So when you won this camera um, at, at the you know the prom or whatever, you, you knew you wanted to be a photographer, or was it a complete just accidental connect? Oh no, that was just uh, completely accidental. Um, um, so yeah, I, wanna, I can't ever like live this down. Actually, it's a, it's a bit embarrassing, but here we go. Um, I, I got to the prom really early, um, and so I won this award, like called the Eager Beaver Award, for getting there so early. And in this, <laughs> and in this, like this gift bag, right? And in this gift bag, there was like a, a voucher for for like a blockbuster. So we had blockbuster in South Africa, blockbuster video as well. Mm-hmm. Remember, uh-huh. I rented uh, almost famous, great movie. If you like music, especially, um, mm-hmm. and yeah, this camera. Um, the connection to 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 photojournalism, no. Uh, I, I I'd seen a picture from the Vietnam War. Actually, I, I've I've yeah, I talked about this. Uh, before and uh, it was mm-hmm. you know the, the really uh, famous picture uh, Nick Oates picture of of so called Napalm Girl, uh, right? Um, there were pictures from I think it was Hill Eight Six One. There was a whole bunch of, of of really famous photography, you know, which came out of the Vietnam War. And my brother, who who was like quite older, a bit older than me, he's like twelve years older than me. He'd gone off to college and he'd had these sort of news magazines that were in his cupboard. So we had to like shared a room. Um, and then when he went off, um, then I got the room, and so I got his cupboard with this old stuff that he'd left behind. And it was this this series of magazines about the Vietnam War, and there was one issue which was about you know photography in the Vietnam War, and there was that particular picture. It really just stuck with me. It just it it sort of transfixed me arrested me uh, and and uh, that was a kind of a spurring moment i think oh man you know it, it's i i would not you know um be embarrassed about the eager beaver award at all because what a great line for a journalist right I, i'm gonna be there first i i that's that you put that at top of top of your resume man you know <laughs> from the early on i've been aggressive but that that image changed the world I mean, it really did. It arrested everybody's attention. And that sort of leads into, you know, my question, you know, you you know, you're going to get into, you know, photography, but the early social justice, the early kind of, I'm going to change the world. I mean, you could have gone into wedding photography, you could have gone into sports, um, and and you chose a really difficult way in. Was was your heart already moving in that way? Or or tell tell me where responsibility, social responsibility comes into who you are. No, I I Joe, I just appreciate the 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 question. It's yeah, it's not often that that someone asks me about these things and I think it is kind of important to my work because it's it's kind of it gives me uh Sort of determination and, and a bit of resilience as well uh, when things get rocky, which they get, you know, quite often. Yeah, I grew up really poor, you, you know, um, uh, and and my, my dad was a carpenter. My mom, um, you know, she worked uh, from the age of 13. And being born in 1985 in South Africa, like non-white, uh, mm-hmm. uh, there were, there were, apartheid was falling down um, to towards the time that I was in elementary school, but, but there was, 
injustice everywhere. There was violence everywhere. There was there was uh, segregation everywhere, and 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 people of my ethnicity in South Africa are, are in this weird buffer zone because we're like. So I'm I'm of Indian descent, uh, South Asian descent, South, South African of South Asian descent. Um, but we're like mm-hmm. uh, the, the very 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 small minority. I think like one percent of the population is 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 of that descent. Um, and so as as polarizing as apartheid is, like like these kind of subgroups within the racial classification system and stuff, it's it's it was all very you know complicated and and weird, especially as a child. But just to witness that, I think it was just something which which stuck in my mind. Um, and and wanting to ask questions when when there was a lot of urbanization in the early nineties into the city where I was born, uh, Durban, uh, which is the second or third biggest city in South Africa, out in the east coast. And when we had like these shanty towns, you know, the shack settlements springing up all over uh, the neighborhood, which had been which had been very um, verdant, like jungly. You know, we had this the, the big river kind of flows through. Uh, the suburb, so called, like the suburb that I lived in, called Reservoir Hills. This is a really big mm-hmm. river called the Amgeni River, and and you know, shack shack settlements would would start springing up, and you know, asking my parents like, why are people living like this? And and my parents, you know, obviously worried about safety first. You know, they're like, don't go there; it's very dangerous. But you know, I could see children, black children, you know, mm-hmm. there, and I was like, it can't be that dangerous if they're kids and they look like me, like you know. So so mm-hmm. that that was there. Um, yeah, from from a young age, uh, I, 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 for what it's worth, I've I've done weddings. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I mean to to break even, but I actually I think that they they uh, they can be more high pressure than than conflict zones. <laughs> I, 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 have, I have nothing but respect and admiration for wedding photographers. I, I, as I've said before, you know, if there's one kind of photography, you know, I cannot ever imagine my getting the courage to do, it would be weddings. The, the, the rest of it, I, I think I could muster up the guts, but not, no, not, not that. Journalism, photojournalism is a way to, you know, to change the world, um, you know, to, to go out there uh, and, and report on what you've seen. Tell me about some of your, some of the early assignments that you're personally really proud of, or, or, or were somehow stepping stones, milestones in your career. And we're going to get to documentary photography in a second, but, but when, when you're on assignment, what, what was the stuff that you think you did best? Well, look, hold on, Scott. I don't know if I agree with you. Actually, I don't know if photojournalism does change the world. Um, and really? Yeah. Um, I think that, I think that, what it is is evidence, or it, it can, what it can be is evidence. Um, okay. Uh, uh, but what people choose to do with it afterwards uh, is sometimes separate from that. Uh, you know, there was, you know, like that collection of, of magazines that I was telling you about, there was all this great photography that came out of the Vietnam War. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, up until the Afghanistan War, it was, you know, the longest war in American history. Uh, the photography didn't stop it, or the journalism didn't stop it. Or you could, you know? It's 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 there, but but it's what people make of it, um, and I think that that's why I, I transitioned away from from photojournalism, which I had started off in, um, towards documentary. So there were some cool assignments. I started off at a tabloid uh, in in Cape Town. Mm-hmm. The tabloid is called the Daily Voice, uh, and yeah, it's. Uh, was kind of looked down upon, I think, by a lot of the other mainstream publications, like the broadsheets, because it was a tabloid. Uh, but it really had the ear um, and the interests of, of kind of the working class community of, of Cape Town. 
And yeah, it was, it was, it was a great education. And I think coming from a pretty sheltered upbringing and then a pretty liberal arts education um, in, a, in a sheltered university town, when I started working, I was like 21. Yeah, straight out into the Cape Flats, which are, which are pretty dangerous. So it was a great education. What is, what is for you the, the difference between photojournalism and documentary work? Uh, I think it's like the difference between reporting and, and long-form journalism. Let's just say in, in written okay. terms, at least in, in my experience of having been a, a newspaper photographer, I was, I was often working with a writer and I was illustrating the writer's story. Um, whereas mm-hmm. as a, now, I, I would say a part of what I do is documentary photography. And that is a lot more, I think, my own writing through the photography. Like not writing necessarily in terms of, of words, but writing off a story or creating a narrative through the photography itself. But you, were you not creating the narrative when you were a photojournalist or was it just somebody else's narrative that you had to take pictures of? Yeah, look, I think at that stage, it was also the, that, that, that really weird stage of, of where we were with, with journalism and I think uh, digital photography. So it was that first or second generation of digital cameras, like the D200, that's what I was using a lot. And there wasn't, you know, smartphone photography yet and newsrooms hadn't started laying off people, uh, you know, en masse yet. But there wasn't that space for like, you know, sort of feature journalism, at least at least not in, in the mainstream South African newspapers, I think, where you had like the spread of like six to 12 pictures even, you know, on one story. Uh-uh. Like I, it, there wasn't a lot of that. I think that in South Africa, unfortunately, it's still kind of like that. There's not a lot of of reportage uh and, and and like things like like time magazine you know you, there's american time that you would get here but we don't have like our own things like that um mm-hmm. you know, national geographic like sort of yeah all of these things that we we could be reflecting on um i feel yeah there's a big big need for it in south africa I am a firm believer that photography is is narrative, and even a still image is is narrative. And I think you know, we, the best of us, we get to a point where we we have a story to tell, and you know, it it's, comes out chapter by chapter, image by image. And that's not to put down photojournalism at all. My God, I mean, some some of the most important, you know, world changing people, I believe, you know, are photojournalists. But sometimes you get you get hooked on an idea that won't uh, let you alone, and and you've certainly decided that you're going to commit a large part of your life and a large part of, of your uh, artistic output to issues there at home, and especially with, with the, um, the coal burning and that kind of stuff. How, well, and then let, let's just, just, just jump in. Broken Land. T- t- tell me what the Broken Land project is. Yeah, Broken Land uh, kind of started as, as, as sort of an obsession. Seeing this, this really obliterated, bleak landscape it really did something to me, uh, I think, like psychologically, or, or it, it it made a very deep impression on me, uh, and and I, I I felt that I had to do something about it in terms of I had to at, at the very least like kind of ask people, can you see this too, or can you see what I'm seeing? Does this look right, like to you? Like mm-hmm. it doesn't look right to me, you know. Uh, some of the things that, that, yeah, those vistas that I that I saw were so so very, yeah. Obviously, I don't know if a scene can be 
immoral or, or wrong. <laughs> but it just it looked like that and i and i the fact that it was happening in sort of plain broad daylight was 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 what i yeah w- w- what messed with me <laughs> okay and, and let, let's back up a bit for you know for people that don't know what the project is you describe it you know as, as the battle between climate change mining and human rights this part of south africa you say has got 46 percent um, of the uh, high potential arable soils it's also got 12 coal burning power stations and you know it, it's there was this promise of prosperity this promise of energy um which has you know, of course not come true. There are respiratory problems, there's water problems, you know, this kind of stuff. So when, when this got to you, when, when, how and when did you decide, okay, here we, you know, me and my lens, here we come. Yeah. So, so how, how it came about the first time was I was freelancing for, for the Sunday times in South Africa. Um, uh, and, uh, there was, a the, we would get, we would have shifts, right? Uh, and and depending on on which reporter had a story, um, you'd go out with them on, on those particular days. And I was working with with the with the, a mining reporter named Lucky. His name was Lucky Biasi. <laughs> um, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and and he he took me to this you know this place the first time where he had contacts and and, and we were we were doing a story about the lack of of development in these areas. Uh, and that was the first time I'd ever been to that province in South Africa. Uh, and I was just sort of mm-hmm. blown away. Uh, and um, not a lot of people liked working with Lucky because he was a little bit slow in terms of like he liked taking his time and and really really talking to people before like you know asking them. You know, taking the notebook out. I I I loved that though. Um, it gave me a, it gave me time to to really work on portraits and to and to explore and 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 do that. So 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 that was how I I I went to that province for the first time. And I had about three or four assignments out there, and that was the beginning of of starting to collect um some of the the better images together. Um, but when that work dried up and picture editors changed, and and then I didn't get assignments for the Sunday Times and stuff anymore. I just kind of sat with this with this collection of like twelve to twenty. I can't remember exactly how many it was images, right? That, that I built up, and I was like, "How am I going to get out here?" So, uh, like, I, I don't have a car <laughs> up till now, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 I was like, "I just need to get out here and make more images." Like, I'm sure that there will be a way, uh, something, you know. And uh, eventually, it took um, you know the Ernest Cole Award coming around and me applying for that to. And, and luckily, very luckily, winning it um, to to be able to continue the project because I just had no funding at all. Um, right. And I actually, uh, I was about to throw in the hat. Uh, I, I had about $10 left in my bank account or, or, or 30. It was like 260 rand. And the entry, uh, in order to send the entry for the Ernest Cole Award down to Cape Town, like they wanted it done in such an old school way. You had to like burn a CD and courier it. I was like, really? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> but I burnt the CD and and I couriered it and it was like 230 rand. That's so why I had 30 rand left. And I was like, if this doesn't work, oh. I'm done. yeah. And I was like, no, nah, I'm done. Like I'm gonna. I I I started doing more writing. So I'm I'm really passionate um about 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 English uh, literature too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was I was writing for for the Mail and Guardian um in the culture section. Uh, so I was like, if this if this doesn't work, um, I'm I'm giving up with with photography, and I'm just gonna like focus on writing, uh, and see if I can't make a living um, through that. And uh, luckily, it didn't work out that way. Let's take just a quick break. We hope very much that you are enjoying today's episode. 
The very fact that you are listening to this podcast suggests that photography means a lot to you. And if that's the case, you might want to have a look at Frames, quarterly printed photography magazine. We truly believe that excellent photography belongs on paper. Visit readframes.com to find out more about our publication. And now, back to today's conversation. Well, man, you're a fine writer, but I am really, really glad you won and you stayed with the photography. Tell me about one of the pictures from this project. Maybe, you know, you know, folks, when you go and you look at it at uh, Dalen's website, when you look at this project, you're going to be impressed and surprised. There, there are some beautiful landscape pictures. You think, what a lovely, oh my heavens, there's a plant in the back of that picture. And, and you know, and, and it's, it's surprising and ironic and, and angering at sometimes. But th- th- there's one image of a woman scraping for coal in a dirt roadway in, in a tire track. T- tell me about that image. Tell me what she's doing and, and, and th- that whole situation. Because it's one of those pictures you look at, and, and the more you understand what's going on, the sort of sadder and angrier you get. Um, thank you for that really succinct introduction, I think, to the work as well. Jeez. Um, uh, since we were talking about the, the photojournalism to documentary, before I answer you about that particular picture, I, something mm-hmm. thing about, about how Broken Land, I think, was a result of being ready in my development as a photographer, I think, was was that um, after not getting uh, press work for a while, I started to, to, to almost kind of resent working as a photographer or like not being able to get work as a photographer. And I, I, I wanted to, to, to try and rediscover my love for, for photography in the first place, you know, outside of journalism um, and trying to make mm-hmm. a living through that. So I started to do landscapes um, and I started to look at a lot of Ansel Adams and, and, and things like that. And it's, it's so strange because like by the time that the broken land came around, I was able to look at those landscapes in front of me in a very different way, I think, than I would have a few years earlier. So uh, I know that that picture that you were talking about, for example, like I, I, there's a river that leads up to that power plant in the background. You know, like mm-hmm. that 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 moment. You know, it took a while for me to see that, but but yeah. Um, and and the one of the women uh, scraping. Uh, I mean, there it's heartbreaking. Uh, sure. That is at a, an, an illegal coal mine uh, called Golf View, uh, and it's called Golf View because it's on a hill that overlooks a golf course. <laughs> so from that that area where she is, if you if like sort of behind her, this valley where there's this golf course and and people you know enjoying their leisure time. But this woman um, worked at that coal yard, and where these trucks get loaded up um, with big pieces of like anthracite and and the bigger higher grade. Uh, chunks of coal, uh, the little pieces that fall uh, out, she she scrapes them up and she she collects them. Part of it, you know, to try and sell within her community. People still use coal for fuel in stoves and stuff, uh, but but also for for herself to be able to use this fuel uh, because people can't afford electricity. So in in South Africa, we've got a, a really big problem with electricity. We have something called load shedding. Um, so we we go through and we have now for for. 17 years more since 2008 yeah gone through uh intermittent blackouts so in winter it was really bad this year in johannesburg you know six eight ten days or ten hours without without electricity it gets bad uh so so despite these promises you know of electricity and coal and it's gonna make this future brighter like literally it it really hasn't <laughs> it really hasn't and no and our government 
wants to get into that more and more. Um, so yeah. Fill me, fill me in on a detail here. A lot of your images, you know, in, in the caption, you say this is an informal miner or it's a community mine. Yeah. What, what are those things? What are those things? Uh, okay, because I use that language because it's very, uh, there's a very politically loaded term for them in South Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, the term is Zama Zama. Um, so in this is Zulu, uh, Zulu language, right? Um, to Zama is to try. So Zama Zamas are people who are trying. Right. But they're also, but they're also associated with being gangsters and being involved in, in, in all types of other kind of illicit activities. So using a uh, language like, you know, informal miners or community owned is, is a way to kind of not, I don't know, in, in, I, I don't think that they're guilty of a crime. I think that the mining companies, for example, that have come there and dug up that land and not rehabilitated and not given people jobs to the point where people are, are digging through abandoned coal mines to get coal, which is not gold or diamonds, which you can make a big profit on. It's coal, right? Right. If they're, if they're scraping at that to try and make some sort of subsistence like life, then you can't call that, you can't call that criminal, you know? Um, so that's why I don't, um, that's why I call them informal miners. Um, in South Africa, there's an association called the, the National Association of Artisanal Miners. Um, and it's basically people that, that yeah, have gone to abandoned mines and, and have started working them themselves because they need a source of income. Oh, my. And, and, and I'm looking at the picture of the child miner here from 2018. There are, there's no protection for these people, is there? No. Um, and, and unemployment is really high in South Africa. Uh, I think it's one of the highest in the world. And, and I think that unemployment or, or, or poverty uh, it's a form of violence itself. Um, and, and watching one of the kids, it wasn't that, that particular kid, uh, there was a minor, it was another kid that was working at a, uh, a dump and he was picking copper out of, out of mobile phones with a knife. Um, and he said to me once, uh, I asked, you know, what are you doing here, boy? Uh, you look young. And he said, uh, what's the point of going to school if there's nothing to eat at home? Yeah. You know. Tell me about the tell me about the reaction to you personally when you're out shooting in these environments. Are are people suspicious of you? Are they welcoming? Do they, do they know what you're trying to do? It changes. There is a degree of mistrust. Initially, uh, people don't know which side of the fence the media sit in in South Africa, I think. People don't know sometimes if you're like, are you working for the government or the police or something, or are you trying to catch them with something? Um, there is, I would say, like a like a ethnic barrier. I'm, I'm again, of South Asian descent uh, and, mm-hmm. uh, in a country like South Africa, which has got, you know, the history that it does. There's a lot of tension. We, we, we there were, there were big um, riots in, in Durban, uh, my hometown in 2000, what, 2021, 2022. And there were, there were, you know, lots of, of, sort of ethnic tensions. Uh, so I think when people see me, I, I used to have long hair as well. So it's, it's this, this dude, <laughs> you know, with, the, with, the, with, the, with you know, blue jeans and an old army like jacket sometimes, you know, and, and then like these two cameras and he's like, is everybody okay? Do you have any problems with water? You know, people can be suspicious and mm-hmm. they could be like, you know, what are you doing here? You know, but, but I think, <laughs> I mean, in the beginning, I used to work with translator, um, but 
my my Zulu and Kosa is is possible enough that I can I can understand what's going on uh, with people and and a lot of the time I, I I work with contacts in the area as opposed to like a translator or a fixer. Okay, it helps because we have like eleven official languages in South Africa. So there's a lot. Um, you can never really know it all. Uh, um, so yeah, it just depends. And I think that like like I love I love Matt Black. Um. Matt Black um, said, you know, with geography of poverty, if you have a camera and a notebook and a sense of inquisitiveness and you're, and you're patient with people, people will be patient with you. Okay. Now, now tell me about the other reaction, though, because, I mean, this has been a book. It's been, it's been a great book. It's got gallery exhibitions. But the people with power are probably not real happy with you. T- tell me about the reactions you're getting from the arts community, from the political community, the world. <laughs> I mean, sadly, not that much, <laughs> truth be told. And I think that's that's uh, kind of the nature of of fossil fuel capitalism. <laughs> like, what are we on? Like COP twenty seven, COP twenty eight. Like, has anything changed at at all? Like, yeah. what we, like a whole bunch of really important people, you know, fly over on planes um, and and talk about stuff, and nothing changes. Like, I I I don't know what more evidence we need. It's it's you know staring us right in the face. Uh, I sometimes I get really despondent about this. I kind of feel like maybe I'm just making like a like a testament <laughs> or like an epitaph. You know what I mean? Like like, but it still needs to be done. You know, it's still, it does. still needs yes. to be looked at. And I think that that's that's that whole point of of for me. You know, um, the camera, my life with the camera is like making people look at things. <laughs> as as obvious as that may sound, like it's like have have you seen this? Have you looked at this properly? <laughs> Okay. You know, um, there's there's a question I want to ask you in a minute. You know about something you said in a TED Talk YouTube video, uh, which I recommend everybody um, you know go search for and, and, and watch. But you've got another project out there, Overcome Heights. Tell me what's going on there. Oh, that was that was done quite a while back. Um, so Overcome Heights uh, was was part of the uh, was a, it was a project that I did in a week during during the Foundry photojournalism workshop. So I have been in a couple of editions of that. Like I think I did the first one in 2012 in Chiang Mai in Thailand, and then they came to South Africa in 2016 in Cape Town. And so I I spent time in in that community and I just sort of documented the reality of of winter in in parts of Cape Town. So you know, Cape Town kind of uh, comes across, and it is in a lot of ways, this, this very glamorous, beautiful city. It It's very beautiful. I mean, Cape Town is ridiculously beautiful if you live in the right part of it and if you can afford to. Right. If you're uh, uh, on the other side of the mountain, so to speak, uh, it's it's bleak, you know, it's, it's awful. And I mean, that was the reality of people living um, in that particular uh, community. And, and I just thought that the name of... of that area being overcome heights was was a kind of powerful metaphor. Mm-hmm. A, a small, just sort of, of aesthetic or technical question: over your your overcome heights projects all in color, broken lands all in black and white. Why the change? Oh, I think. I mean, most of my personal work is in black and white. Like even my Instagram, my. Um, how can I put this? My personal way of writing mm-hmm. <laughs> is in black and white. Um, but, but yeah, color has its place and, and horses for courses. I don't know. I, I, uh, some things can't, I, I think can't help but be in color. Uh, I, for example, want to do a, a project, um, 
I'm hoping uh, to go back to my hometown, uh, Durban, and document the area that I lived in, which is this really weird mix of 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 Indian culture and and South African culture and tenement housing and temples and churches and mosques and you know and it's and color. <laughs> um, I don't know how I could do that in black and white. You know, uh, I don't know if you could do India. In, in black and white, for example, uh, yeah, you know, um, it just depends. Uh, but I, but I, but I, I love the simplicity uh, of black and white, and and I think it's like Picasso um, doing Guernica. You know, he chose to do it in black and white for 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 a reason. I remember my lecturer uh, at at uh, university at Rhodes, um, Harold Guess. Harold, shout out if you're listening. You're a great, great teacher. Um, yeah, I was was saying, <laughs> you know, um, there's there's a reason for that black and white is, is it, it is like a document you know when when we say we talk about like a contract or something it's like it's in down it's black it's in black and white and i think black and white has that timelessness and at the same time it's it's very much so when you see a black and white image your predisposition i think as a person is that it's it's a photograph it's not an illustration you know even from far far away it's either a, you know an old film or a photograph so mm-hmm. yeah well, I, I I remember you know needing to catch my breath when when I got to your website because the very first image there is black and white, uh, and it's that woman standing in front of all the police. Describe that image for me. Tell, tell me the tell me the situation, both what's going on there, and then how you got to be in the position to take that picture. So that uh, picture was made. Uh, I think it was back in two thousand seven, two thousand and eight. There was a there was a housing protest in Cape Town. And um, some some incomplete houses were were meant to be or scheduled to be given to a uh, you know a group of people on the housing list and and people that lived closer by didn't agree with that they felt that they were in this neighborhood already and they should get those houses so before they were even complete the, this community kind of occupied that place it was called uh, Symphony Way uh, that was the name of the main road uh, in in an area called mm-hmm. Delft right so uh, there was a protracted court battle for like many months and eventually the high court ruled that no they must be evicted and so the police uh, the armored cars and stun grenades and all of that stuff came to evict them and I was not on duty that day I had at least driven uh, down to the foreshore of Cape Town uh, to drop my then girlfriend off at work, and I'd heard about this in the radio. And I was still like in my pajamas, kind of. I remember I had I had like like slippers on, but I wasn't going to leave the car. And then I was like, oh no! Um, and then I, I rushed back home. I, I got my cameras and stuff, and I put on like decent shoes, uh, and I went <laughs> uh, straight out there. And I, yeah, I wasn't on shift or anything, but I, I just. I felt like I needed to be there because it was it was an important moment and uh, at that stage in my career I, I I felt it was something that I wanted to witness and and this lady ran out you know um, she ran out just before the cops um, uh, uh, started to to sort of march forward in this line and and she started like swearing at them and like sort of dancing and and whatever and I just thought it was a, a very uh, harrowing moment. That 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 facing that that mechanized force, you know. 
It, 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 no, it, it's an iconic, I mean, absolutely breathtaking picture. And, and you know, I, I, we're going to disagree. That kind of picture changes the world, man. That, that kind of picture motivates people to um, recognize injustice and, and, and to start whatever actions they can take to start those actions rolling along. I'll counter you with that. And that, that, that photograph was never published. <laughs> when I took it back I, to, to, my, to my boss, they were like, nah. <laughs> oh man no well, well let's put it this way it made it to the middle of north america okay it's been published you know and and so it, it's it's changing lives out here and with any luck everywhere in between uh everybody listening to this podcast go look at that picture it, it, it's it's absolutely fantastic uh but dale you you say something in your ted talk video and you're quoting somebody else but i i was really really struck when I heard this, because, you know, you say this other person whose name I forget, most photographs of people are photographs of suffering and the suffering we've brought upon ourselves. Do you believe that? Oh, I think that that was John Budger. And I think that other than natural disasters, I think that the way that the world is set up, yes, actually, I, I used to do an exercise uh, with, with my class at the Market Photo Workshop about stereotypes, right? This is before AI and my journey and all that stuff, you know, before you could prompt a computer to come up with its own biased images. <laughs> and I would say to, 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 to my students, I'd be like, okay, let's do this word association game, right? Uh, let's say London. And they'd be like, oh, okay, Big Ben and Thames and Fish and Chips. And I was like, okay, great. Uh, San Francisco, Golden Gate Bridge and you know, uh, trams. Okay, cool. Uh, Middle East. And they'd be like, oh, you know, conflicts, bombs. Uh, mm. yeah, that's a like, cool. Congo. Oh, child labor. And, you know, all of these, 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 these negative associations. And, and yeah, I think that the way that, especially the, the, the kind of like the, the press and photojournalism world is, is, is set up, uh, a lot of the pictures that are made of the, the, the so-called developing world, South America and, and Africa and Asia are, are not made by people from there. You know, it's, it's, mm -hmm. and that's a, that's a, that's a fundamentally, yeah, that's, it's a very different way of looking. <laughs> it's a very different way of looking. What, what, for, for you, how has being local made a difference? <sighs> I don't know if it has. Um, uh, okay. uh, I, I've, I've worked abroad a lot, uh, and, and there's always this, yeah, uh, I think South Africa has a, has a strange place in the world community. Um, so you can flow through lots of different countries and, and there's not a lot of, uh, necessarily stereotypes attached. And I, I think a lot of people either think that I'm, I'm, I'm from the subcontinent or I'm, I'm English, uh, which is, which is strange. Um, with, within South Africa. Yeah. People as well. There's, 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 there's a bit of apprehension division. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know so much. I, I, I think of my work and my life with the camera has been in a, a very strange kind of middle space. I think the way that I, I grew up and the way that I was educated and kind of the way that I, yeah, feel about the world and, and my place in it informs my my photography or my writing through the camera if if that makes sense to you um yes it does 
Yeah, and and I, sorry, that's that was really the scenic route. But just to bring it back, back to your back to your <laughs> question, like I do think, I mean, geez, whether whether I mean even even right now, like natural disaster photographs or photographs coming from areas, you can you can say that that's man made, that's man inflicted poverty. Poverty right. is totally right. inflicted. There is no poverty without without wealth. Like you know what I mean? Like before before colonialism, people weren't poor. They had shelter and food, and that's mostly what what we we've, we've needed for the existence of our, our species. You know, a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of 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 the the things that we self in fact almost all of them I think are are, are self inflicted, and and we we do it to ourselves as, as a species, and we do it to other species too. There's no other species that does it to themselves, you know, in the way that we do. You know, man, I, I'm listening to you right now, but I'm also looking at your work. I've, I've got the Myanmar portfolio in front of me right now. Yeah. And I, I don't see, I, I see terrible conditions, but I don't see a cynical lens. I, I, I see, you know, a, a, a lens that, that is, is trying to illustrate a wrong that needs to be righted. Is, is that right? Yeah. Is, is that? I mean, is, is is there a generosity here, really, behind all of these these images? Wow. Um. I, I hope I'm not cynical, and I hope that my my photography is 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 not too cynical. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, th- that particular uh, portfolio, which I you know, I've just just revisited very recently from ten years ago, it was it was a beautiful time. Um. I think in my own life, but also uh in in it seemed in in Myanmar's history. Uh, and and as a South African who, that had been through the 80s and the 90s and now coming into democracy, I really thought at that stage that, you know, with Aung San Suu Kyi being released and the elections going to happen and like, you know, all of that stuff, like that there was going to be this, this similar sort of an opening of of Myanmar to the world. Um, and, and that time was, was, that body of work was made during that time, you know, just actually during the trip. There wasn't any particular assignment. Uh, it was just a trip. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the human beings are, are beautiful and 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 capable of <laughs> and capable of incredible things. And if, and if you just like observe the the human condition, that's what I I I do love about street photography. Even if I don't think I'm particularly good at it, uh, <laughs> but I like it. Um, and and I really love that. I think Joel Mayer was said, you know, uh, the smartphone killed the street. Or, or kill street photography. Like I, I yeah. agree with him. Um, because you just see people walking around like with, they, with their with their heads at forty five degrees, you know. But that body of work I was made at at at, at the time when it, it wasn't that prevalent, especially obviously in that part of the world, and and it was just beautiful to see. Yeah, a place that had been so shrouded in in mystery for all this time, and 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 yeah, just people being people. And I, I wanted to go to that that uh, Golden Rock, and actually, m- my best friend had told me about it, um, and it was just a thing that I'd wanted to do in my life uh, was was to go to that Golden Rock, and and uh, yeah, made it up there, Chaitya Pagoda. Yep, I'm I'm looking at that picture right now, Dalen. Your work is inspiring. Um, I mean, you've you've got a good story. Well, you have a horrible story to tell, but you're, you're you know because it needs to be told. Um, and and 
for all of us that, that pick up a camera to think that we are doing good. Um, not just taking good pictures, but doing good, doing you trying to make the world a better place. You know, I I, I aspire someday that that my work might actually make the world a little, little bit better as well. I think your images, um, the black and white and the color, are are the kind of images that we need to put out there to everybody and say, look, you know, th- this is not only who we are. But this is what we need to change because, as you said, you know, th- th- there is an act of love behind every one of these images, even though what they're revealing sometimes is, is a terrible, terrible um, bit of suffering. Thank you, man. This has been a great conversation. I've enjoyed every minute of this. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, I really appreciate being able to, to be on, on the show and, and to have this conversation with you. Thank you. Frames. Because excellent photography belongs on paper. Visit us at www.readframes.com.